everyone and welcome. This is Sarah Vaughan, host of Start Somewhere for Marie Claire. It's wonderful to have you all with us. And this week, my very amazing guest is Kagan Dunlop, who is a singer and also the host of the Saturn Returns podcast. Hi, Kagi, how are you? Hi, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. It's so wonderful to have you with us. And Kagi, as you know, we all start this podcast by asking, how did you start out in life? Where did you grow up? You know, where did you go to school? What were your passions as a little girl? Well, I grew up in Barnes, which a lot of people have actually lived in London their whole life and never gone to Barnes. It's southwest London, and it's got a really lovely sort of villagey feel to it. It doesn't have a tube station. It doesn't have sort of like loads of people coming through it the whole time. So very fortunate to grow up there. And I also went to school in Barnes at a place called the Herodian. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was at the time when I went there, it was like only 70 pupils. It was a bit of an experiment sending us there because it was incredibly bohemian and like we could wear our own clothes and had an amazing goodness. Yeah, it it was really cool. It had like an amazing art department. It was very into theater. So I guess like that sort of stirred my interest in in the arts probably from quite an early age. Like there were the uh, like the drama teachers were always like bringing casting directors in to like audition for like all the big films and stuff like that, which kind of seemed normal. But actually, then I ended up going to boarding school when I was sixteen, and it was just like a vast what a shock. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was at Herodian from seven. To 16 which is quite a, like a, a long I mean, time. chunk of your life I mean I, I didn't know that about the Herodian and by the way everyone Barnes is the most amazing place actually everyone in Barnes has now just gone oh god why did she just say that because it is all secret but <laughs> it's that? a beautiful place it, but yeah. it's just really hard to get to okay everyone it's really yeah. everyone always <laughs> says like oh I'll, I'll pack my passport kind of thing like it is a little bit <laughs> it is a little bit hard to get to but um, yeah, my, my dad's still there and stuff, so. Is he? Oh, how lovely. Because also with a name like Herodian, I guess I think of Harrods and the fact, I, I, I sort of assume you were all kind of bottle green and kind of, kind yeah. of you know, had a school uniform that was only, only bought in Harrods or something. Well, it's funny you say that because it was actually a Harrods, the reason it's called Herodian is because it was Harrods like sports ground. So it was like where everyone that worked at Harrods used to like go and, I don't know, play sports or something like Harris that. Harrods a sports ground? Yeah, Harrods. I think I might be sort of like, it might be getting a little bit Chinese whispers, but yeah. definitely was connected to Harrods. And then they called it the Herodian. So there is like, it is to do with Harrods originally. And then they made it into school. Oh, wow. And, and, and so, I mean, you're at this amazing school. You've got all these casting directors coming, coming, coming in. And, and did you get cast in anything when you, when, when, when you were at school? Sadly not, but I got like quite close to a couple of things. Again, at the time, it just kind of, I don't know, it seemed, it seemed normal. But then, like I said, when I went to boarding school, I realized that that was perhaps not that normal. You know, it was like a polar opposite experience. Suddenly I was having to wear uniform and it was all quite old school and there were a lot more rules and I was getting in trouble a lot of the time. And it was just like suddenly, you know, I'd had my whole life in London and suddenly I was in the countryside at a boarding school and all I wanted was to be in London and misbehaving. Oh my goodness. So, but I mean, was this an all-girls school or was this a mix? No, it was, it was Wellington. So it was, a, it was very boys' school, actually. And then it was yeah. mixed sixth form. So we kind of 
I the way the Herodian was was like because it was co-ed the whole way we grew up around boys and boys grew up around girls and it wasn't really that weird sort of, like whereas when I went to Wellington we were sort of being rated <laughs> in the lunch hall and stuff like no. that bagged and stuff so I was like what is wrong with these boys <laughs> but that's kind of I guess that was the difference they hadn't had experience of being around girls Wow, that's extraordinary! And, and and it was just it was just co-ed in the sixth form then at at, at, at Wellington at the time, but now it's co-ed the whole way through. Wow! So they 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 had ha- had kind of five years of well, probably most of their lives if they went to to Wellington as exactly. a all boys institution. Oh yeah. my goodness, that must have been a huge shock to the system for for everyone. And was that your choice to go to boarding school, or or, or was, was I mean, how did that come about? It. What happened was I did actually go to boarding school. I tried going to boarding school at 13. I was so homesick I had to come back to the Herodian. <laughs> I literally, I think this, the shock to the system was when I went at 13 and I was still, you know, I very much wanted to be at home. Um, I looked really, really, really young for my age. Yeah. Like so young that I had to have a custom uniform made because they yeah. didn't have my size. Like they were just like, <laughs> we're not prepared for someone this small. And that was like, it's funny now, but it was mortifying at the time because I just wanted to be like everybody else. And I was just this like greedy thing. And when I went to, yeah, this was Epsom College. And when I went there, I just, I was painfully homesick. I would honestly just burst into tears in the middle of a class and and have to be excused. And my mum used to have to come and get me like, throughout the week to kind of break it up I mean it's a bit pathetic but so then I went back to the Herodian no I mean like not at all I mean I I, I have to say the the whole institution of, of boarding school I think has been responsible for a lot of societal woes and deeply traumatized people I mean I know I mean some people survive magnificently but other people are are scarred for life and actually can never get over that experience I mean you know it 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 it, it, it it's you know it's it, 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 it's something deeply <laughs> extraordinary about British upbringings that you know having your children and then sending them away and never seeing them for for however many years is is considered kind of a really good thing to do for your kids. I know, and especially for for I think it's men really that suffer with it because if they go to boarding school at sort of seven. And they, they don't, they're not capable of sort of regulating their own emotional system at that point. And they're just sort of told to like bury everything. And that's their sort of motto for life. <laughs> it's really problematic when they're sort of adults, basically. Deeply, so, deeply. And, and most of them are sent by, by, you know, parents or fathers who have been yeah. there themselves, actually. And, and, and you know, didn't necessarily have a great experience. So it, it kind of is almost passing on generational trauma. I mean, I have to say yes. in, in, in defence, I think the, the, the modern boarding school is, is a very different uh, animal to, 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 to the one that most of, most of uh, you know, them grow up. And, and even Wellington, I think, has, has probably, you know, changed a lot since... It's since transformed you- even since I was there, I think. I was sort of there at the tail end of, like, it being quite... Um, laddish and quite brutal I think so but yeah I completely agree so anyway that that was my sort of schooling and then I had a very very brief stint at Leeds University I don't even think I survived the term and decided that it was a much better option to go and 
study acting in New York, which I did. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you need your acting in New York. I mean, I, everyone's kind of weighing these things up right now. I think you made the right decision. <laughs> I did. And wow. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. Living oh, my goodness. So, so where, did you, where did you go in New York to, to study acting? So I went and did a year at the Lee Strasberg Institute, which is in Union yeah. Square. And wow, it was amazing, actually. It was really incredible. And I loved it. And then sort of when I came back after doing that, that's when I sort of somehow stumbled into doing reality TV. <laughs> I still don't really know how that happened. Well, I do. But it was one of those things that it's sort of like the opportunity came around and I didn't really have much else going on. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll do that. And how did that happen? I mean, did, 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 did someone call you up? Did a friend ask you, you know... Yeah, so I was sort of like trying to find my feet in London again, like wanting to do acting really, but it's quite, um, the acting world in London is like, it's, a, it's tricky, you know, there's, there's a hierarchy and there's like levels and if you haven't attended Lambda or Rada, you kind of, it's like hard to get a look in. Yeah. So yeah. I was kind of like figuring that out and then Millie, who's always been one of my best friends since I was like 15, um, was saying that she was like considering doing this show yeah and had an interview with them and she was like that they want to meet you and I'm only going <laughs> to do it if you do it and I was like I okay. love it. I'll do it if you do it I mean oh it was literally God. like that it was yeah. and, then, and then they and then I spoke to them and I was to be honest I was never like this is definitely what I want to do I always had a lot of reservations about it yeah at the same time I was 21 and it was like a bunch of my mates that we were just going to, that they were like, we're just going to film you guys. We don't know what's going to happen with it, but like E4, I think are going to pick it up. And we're like, okay, sure. And oh then, then, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and it is. And, and, and tell, I mean, tell, you know, for those that don't, don't know, tell, tell us a little bit about how, I mean, that show became absolutely gigantic. So how, you know, yeah. what you were reaching enormous audiences. Do, do, do share a little bit about <laughs> how this I mean, investment with your yeah. friends turned into like the biggest show in, in ever. Yeah. It was, it, it was an extraordinary experience looking back. It was like quite the baptism of fire. And, you know, they say like, if something comes that quickly and easily, though, there is always another side to that, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like that kind of instant fame. But it was a huge amount of fun, like, at that time, everything we were doing. And like I say, we were authentically all friends. And the stuff, a lot of what was happening was, like, really going on. And then it just, yeah, it kind of exploded almost overnight. And I, I don't think I was, I don't know if anyone can be prepared for that. Because also the nature of that kind of reality TV thing is there's like, it's a, it's a fictionalized version of you. Yes. People, the problem with like the media and how people consume media and, and entertainment is they take that as like the ultimate truth. And like, that is a hundred percent real. Of course it's, it's not. And I think that there was a, just a tipping point for me where I just was like, I didn't have, I was never a very anchored person. I was always like, flying around and very extreme in my behavior and I was complete people pleaser I wanted to morph into whoever I needed to be to be accepted and loved yeah I would say that like that in a sense sort of manifested itself in Made in Chelsea because I you know I was just giving myself in this way that I thought 
was what would make me happy. Yeah. And then there was just something that shifted. And I was like, that perception of me, I could see it so clearly. And I was like, that's not how I want to be showing up in the world. And that's not what I want to be telling young girls is like aspirational. And that's not how I want to be living my life. I didn't necessarily know how I wanted to be living my life, but I kind of knew that that wasn't it. And so I made quite a difficult decision to, to walk away kind of at its peak, really. Right. Um, which, you know, I look back and I'm like, wow, that was kind of crazy and kind of bold. And I don't, I very, very of, brave like, and very courageous, right? I mean, you know, yeah. and in a sense, I mean, you know, that was really kind of the moment where you really just started to discover your purpose, didn't you? Yeah. And your, kind of, your inner compass was actually going like, hang on a second, this isn't quite right for me. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know in yourself, it doesn't matter what everyone else is saying. It doesn't matter if you're making, like, loads of money or, like, whatever, getting famous. If you know in yourself that that doesn't feel right for you, you've got to listen to that. And I think it's very easy to just, like, carry on with things just because everyone's saying that that's what happiness is about. But I just knew, it was like, like you say, my inner compass was like, this isn't where we want to be. And when I make a decision like that about something, I'm very like, I'm a, I'm a tourist. Like I'm very like, okay, that's that. And I've made the decision. And, and regardless of what anyone says. And I remember actually there was like this quite funny, well, not funny, but there was a moment where I was in Australia over Christmas and I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. And I emailed the producer saying, look, I've been thinking about this and I'm decided I'm not coming back. And I was just like anticipating the response of just like, what do you mean? And they just replied me like, that's fine, Kagi. But when you come back from Australia, will you come and just like have a quick meeting with us? I was like, okay. So I remember going to NBC's offices and I had the head of NBC in there. I don't know if I can say all this, but I am going to. And he was like commissioned the show and stuff. And he basically sat me down. He was like, okay, what do you want? Like, what do you want to stay? And I was like, I just want normality. And he was like, it's overrated. <laughs> I'll never forget him saying that. <laughs> Sometimes I look back, I'm like, he was kind of right. <laughs> but it was such a, um, and I just was like, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can offer me to make me say, this is like the decision that I'm making. And then I did go on this sort of like funny, squiggly quest afterwards for sort of like my authentic purpose. Mm. And I'd say it took like, the best part of my 20s to kind of feel like I landed somewhere that felt like I was on the right track with it. And, wh- and what did you do in this, in this squiggly kind of finding khaki? Kind of yeah. well, there was a lot of traveling. There was a lot of uh, perhaps running away. So after the show, I was like, okay, I re- because it was so big still and because my connection with it was still so strong, I was like, I mean, how far away can I get? So I was like, I'm going to move to Australia. And so I um where about you go? Huh? Where did I go? I went to Sydney. Oh, I basically yeah. said to a friend, I was like, if I can get an agent out in Australia and get any kind of work, I'll move. And he found me an agent, she got me a job, and I booked a flight the next day. And then I went. And like I'm, you know, I was working enough to like be able to live there, but it wasn't like it wasn't what like I've been doing in London, but I had the best time. Yeah, well, I, I get, but I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, for, for our listeners to understand, I mean, you couldn't walk down a road without being packed, right? I mean, you, yeah, you, I mean, your life became very difficult. Yeah, there was, yeah, I just, 
I felt like that it was impossible. I sort of I was writing about it the other day. It was like the sort of ghost of Made in Chelsea Pass loomed around too many corners in London. I just had to get away. And Australia just has this energy for me where I just feel completely myself. I've always had this connection there. It's like it. past life thing or something. And you know, yeah. the amazing thing about and to everyone listening, I get a lot of messages about like, I kind of want to move abroad or like do this, but I'm a bit scared. I really like in your 20s and your early 20s like just do it because it doesn't matter like if it doesn't amount to what you hope it's going to it's just about having that collection of experiences and I would never like change it now. So there you are in beautiful Sydney you know Mm. which I just love best beaches in the world I have to say and you're 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 there. You're working. You're really happy. You've you've got a whole kind of life going on. And and, and what? Where does your exploration take you in Sydney? What 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 are, you, what are you thinking, considering, and doing at this point? Well, I then started falling into music. So I was actually dating someone that was in the music industry there, and we started work. We started working together, and then we kind of like fell in love, I guess. And I just was introduced to this world. Like Australia and Sydney is incredibly forward in those kind of things like with food with like health trends with yeah. with music with art with fashion I think anyway in my opinion and I so, yeah and so I started doing a lot more music there and that was something that's something that's always been like part of my purpose but we'll get into it's a com it's a complicated one and I'll get into why in a bit but like that was something then that was really making me feel fulfilled even though like it was so different from what I was used to that was like all very like fast and easy and quick and but I was like I didn't that was like unstable whereas like the music just felt like I was sowing you know the seeds it was like planting stuff and that was bringing me joy and then I came back um from Sydney and actually my boyfriend then moved over which is always quite high risk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A Sydney London, I mean, it's always, always a little bit, you know, particularly from a climatic point of view. A lot of Australians can't, they, they reach December and then they're like, oh my God, I'm out. <laughs> but then it was weird coming back because Australia does sort of exist in its own entity compared to the rest of the world. It really, it really does. And then it was tricky to kind of, navigate things coming back during that so that point I was 25 I think Mm -hmm. and I remember yeah so I remember I released a song in a way that was like completely unstructured I don't I was doing it all like in my own way as I did because I just was very like anti-authority and anyone telling me what to do and I wouldn't say it kind of backfired in the sense the press then picked it up immediately as they still did with everything and they were like gets mixed, Kagi gets mixed reviews on her like music debut. And they, they, they like uh, made it into this thing that was like, I was trying to be a pop star, which I really didn't necessarily feel I was trying to do. I was just trying to like do stuff that made me happy. Right. And I, don't, I didn't know what that was going to look like. I wasn't trying to be the next like Cheryl Cole. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But it was always framed like that. And then the, because of the like, level of made in Chelsea when you get that kind of instant fame the price you pay for it is then people basically telling you like what you can and can't do in your Mm -hmm. life so you just have like random people being like 
you're never going to make it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, that, and we just, we just, everybody now gets that in social media. It's just like, it's crazy. And so I think that really affected me though, because it just felt, made me feel like I couldn't explore any other, any of those aspects of myself without being criticized. Wow. Yeah. And like for a while, actually, I felt very like lost in that. I felt like I'd almost created like, I don't want to, for lack of a better word, like a bit of a monster in something by doing something like that very young and it creating like such a big thing. Mm-hmm. And, then, you know, because the thing is like, the reality is who knows who they are at 21? Nobody. Right. But like mine will forever be like immortalized on reality TV of me like trying to figure that out. Yeah. And that's a kind of a blessing and a curse, like how amazing to have that experience. But then also like when you're trying to figure out who you are and that kind of thing can kind of hold you back. But in a smaller scale, like people I'm sure how can relate to that in like friendships and stuff when you're in a friendship group that you've outgrown and mm. you don't know how to like move away. So you kind of stay there. Yeah. So that was all quite interesting. And I'd say then I ended up moving to LA. It went off again. And that was at the beginning of my. You pick some good places. I know exactly. Run away, run away to Sydney and LA. Some really good places, exactly. And I'd say that that was like the real beginning of things like falling into place. Because mm-hmm. at twenty-seven, things really shifted for me in terms of like my behaviour, my drinking, all these things, all like my coping mechanisms for the last like however many years just we're not going to suffice anymore. And I had this like rude awakening of like, fuck, I've actually got to be an adult now. Like, and I, I'm, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> so LA was this very interesting experience where I just kind of, I became more anchored. I became more balanced and grounded. And I allowed myself to like really be disciplined with stuff, which falls into the whole, like the podcast concept of Saturn Returns is that, yeah. At 27, you do experience this sort of cosmic shift where whether you believe in astrology or not, it's like the universe giving you this like wake up call and initiation into adulthood being like, how authentically have you been living? Wow, I I never knew that, Kagi. How fascinating. And I mean, what were you what were you actually doing? You know, were you doing yoga? Were you doing meditation? I mean, you know, for for some, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, you know, that's pretty amazing that you feel that LA is a very grounding place because a lot of people think LA could be quite woo-woo at the same it's time. Not, yeah, it's not a grounding place, but I think that that was probably part of it. It's like I had to ground myself. Yeah. And I felt like that suddenly I wanted to maybe for the first time. And so... Yeah, I, I guess I was like, people started coming into my life at that point that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet in London. And they introduced me to like practices and people and things that opened up a, an aspect of myself I think I always had, but I probably hadn't been that inviting to before because it wasn't like within my realms in society or anything right. like that, you know what I mean? So then I started like, getting more into spirituality but all the way I was like very invested in the music still at this point I really was like I want to do this like I really want to do this and I was working really hard at it but I I got very in this headspace of like my whole identity and sense of self and self-worth 
was so connected with the music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. The interesting thing about purpose, it's like we, we live in a, in a time now, it's like identity economics where everyone, everything that everyone does, whether it's their relationship or their career, has to be bound by their identity. It has to enhance like their purpose and who they are and all that kind of thing. It's quite a lot of pressure, you know? <laughs> it is. And I think it actually stops and hinders people from expressing themselves because they're like, well, if it doesn't end up like that and it fails, then like it's going to be really embarrassing for me. And I'm yeah, it's a big watch out. Yeah, because you know that fear of failing means a lot of people don't start, and exactly. then and then you know it 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 you know and 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 I always feel that you know. It, it's the first few steps are the hardest and the trickiest. And when you actually get the criticism, like, you, you know, potentially, you, you know, like you did as well. And, and, and it's having the determination to really carry on and, exactly. and really see yourself through those things. So I think it takes a lot of courage to do that, Kagi. So, so persevere. Persevere. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then also, because when I then came back to London, I was like, okay, I'm going to release this, like, you know, music that I've been doing. And the fear I had around doing that, I mean, the way I would procrastinate and put it off and like, there was always something that was wrong with it, like that it couldn't put out because I was so scared. I was scared of putting it out into the universe because I didn't want to be, I didn't want people to tell me that it was like bad because I felt like they were telling me I was bad. And it was a real like pivotal moment for me. I remember when I actually had gone, when it came out, I'd gone to Italy with my brother as a sort of like, Oh, well, if it's all a disaster, I'll be in Italy anyway, sort of thing. And it made it a disaster because that's how I was like trying to promote it. And like we had like no internet and we're on a hill in Tuscany. And I was just like, this is so stressful. So I said to my brother, we went on all, and he's like, what do you want? Like, what would be the dream? I was like, if I was on New Music Friday, like that's all I want. That like means something. And then we went back to the hotel and someone I new in the music industry sent me a message saying congratulations new music friday us and uk and i've never been i don't think i've ever been that happy oh my god yeah amazing so much to me and it's just like i didn't realize how much pressure i'd put on myself i think until that moment but it was it shows also like when you work at something and you really care then the fulfillment you get when it is acknowledged is so much more powerful and meaningful. Those wins, because like you put your heart into it. And I do believe that there is a correlation between that, like the investment energetically and everything in terms of how people respond to it. For sure. For sure. And I, I, I mean, there's some great, great quote and and I, I sorry I can't remember it exactly right but you know you only actually fail when you give up exactly you know and the rest is all discouragement so if you if you keep going like keep keep going and 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 that's such a testament to you Kagi for, for having done that just but I've got to say like I my hands I am not a thick-skinned person I'm not a sort of like someone like Lady Gaga who will just be like I'm here and you because the thing everyone has those experiences it's like you say it's those who actually have the resilience and persevere against the criticism against people telling them that they can't I'd say naturally my disposition is to be someone that's like oh I can't no you're right I can't I'm actually not that like 
sure of myself and that kind of thing. But I definitely would say that since turning 30 and coming out, well, I'm 31 now, but turning like after I turned 30 and coming out of my Saturn returns, I was like, I don't actually care what people say. And actually people don't know me. Like they don't know what's going on inside me. They don't know what I'm capable of. So why am I listening to them? Why am I waiting for the invitation? And why am I like always thinking that someone's going to show me the way? Because no one is really. You've got to like, you've got to show people the way for yourself and, and then inspire other people to do the same. Oh my God, what a liberation. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite liberating actually. Because when you take off that like backpack of everyone's opinions, it's something like quite a lot easier to climb the mountain. Right, absolutely. So where's it going with your with with your music now, Kagi? When I, I started working with a team of people and I got back to London and I just released like another song and stuff, and it was all going in a good direction. And then we kind of like were talking, they were like, Have you ever considered doing a podcast? And when I was in LA, I had started writing a script. Oh, wow. Everyone does in LA. And it called Saturn Returns because I found that this like particular time in one's life so interesting. And I thought it would make a really good comedy, that idea. So I started writing that down. But then, of course, like as we do, I was like, well, what will I ever do with this? But when they started talking about whether I wanted to do a podcast, I was like, well, there's this idea I have. And I think it would translate really well into a podcast that's sort of around like well-being and spirituality. And then we just like started putting it together. And then that, you know, then suddenly we went into lockdown. So it was actually a dream because I wouldn't have been able to do much with music at the moment. It's been really challenging time, but this actually gave me something that I could really, you know, grow. And like an an idea that has various tangents to it that could go in different directions. And that has been perhaps... It, like it's incredibly meaningful for me and it feels very stabilizing because it's like you know we all like in astrology actually you have like your north node and your south node and like they they help in terms of your purpose and, and direction and like what you need to be giving to the world versus what you need to be nurturing in yourself and for me like interestingly my my south node is like about what I can be giving so I feel like the Saturn Turns podcast is like sharing these conversations, sharing the people that I've met along my own journey, and hopefully helping some people in their own feeling of isolation, which is basically what I felt. For me, it's like if I could give people like a tool book or a toolkit, how to like navigate your Saturn returns, like this is it in conversation. And I don't want anyone to feel as like lost or alone as I felt. But then also the music kind of helps with me expressing myself you know yes and I think we have to always be aware that we like you want to be doing something that's making a meaningful contribution but you also have to be fulfilling your purpose that doesn't mean to say that that has to be your like big career right it's it's necessary for you to express who you are in something and I think we're all given like different gifts that we often neglect Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm a strong believer that everyone has extraordinary gifts. Everyone is unique and, and everyone has their, their own purpose and their own kind of you know, mission here on earth to, to, to fulfill. And, and, and it's really 
you know, helping people find that. So I just love what your, your, your podcast does. And I, I, you know, I know a lot of my friends listen to it and have found it extremely uh, helpful. So do tell us a little bit about some of the guests you have on the show and some of the subjects you explore, Kagi. Yeah. So I kind of, I find the guests based off what I experienced and who I came into contact with that I feel will be really beneficial to the listeners. So it's all quite like intuitively felt out. The first guest we had was Elizabeth Day, which of course, like, you know, she's the creme de la creme of the podcast world. And that was amazing because she talked all about authenticity, which is a really key component to your Saturn returns. It's like you have to really, a lot of stuff might break away that feels quite painful for you to, to come into your authentic self. So I loved having her. Ruby Warrington, who does a lot in the sort of sober curious movement and space, was another guest that I loved because she was actually incredibly instrumental in my own sober curious journey. And so actually having a conversation with someone that I felt I knew so well, yet yeah. we'd never met, was kind of, I don't know, really special. Because like I just loved that opportunity to be able to speak to her and learn more directly from her. And then more recently, it's not actually um, out yet, but it's out on Monday, is I, I, I was talking with my mom and I said, like, I really want to do an episode around grief because a lot of people right now are struggling and they're sending me messages about it. And I mean, grief in the sense of like, you know, we're experiencing a collective grief right, right. now, the grief of, you know, normal, normal is no more. And so whether that's that you've lost a job or a relationship or whatever, Grief is experienced in different ways. So I wanted to have someone on to discuss that. And my mum sent me this book by Julia Samuel called This Too Shall Pass. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I read it and I was like, wow, this is this is great. But how will I possibly get her? And then my um my old flatmate came over to my house and she was like, she saw the book, she was like, that's my neighbor in the countryside. And I was oh, like, no. <laughs> That's good. And so it all works in that kind of way. It's just not like... even six degrees of separation. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's very, very funny. Yeah. Yeah. And how beautiful. And you know, at this sort of part of 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 of, of the show, we, we now ask really, you know, what's your invitation to, to our listeners? How can they start somewhere? What, what what's your top tip? In terms of sort of like finding, well, finding your purpose and 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 you know you know what's your general kind of insight? I mean, you know, possibly yeah. around Saturn's returns and and how to navigate that time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. So my advice on that one would be because it's quite a pressurizing thing when we start thinking, God, I need to find my purpose and what is that? Mm-hmm. And I think actually there's like there's something really beautiful in being lost. Firstly. And it's obviously easy to say that from a vantage point of hindsight of like, oh, I'm really glad that all happened that way. But that is the kind of beauty of of life and also your Saturn return is that like you're always going to reach a point where you look back and you're going, oh, I'm actually kind of glad that that didn't work out or that that, you know, happened that way or that I experienced that. Because, you know, I always think of it as like if metaphorically we're like a piece of clay And like pain and change and experience is like the hand that sculpts that clay. Like you have to have all those things to to become something. That's like the essence of becoming. And I think we're quite fearful as, you know, human beings. We become incredibly fearful and we we are resistant to change. So I would say like a really 
important thing that I had to learn was to to not resist right to fight that resistance and I mean I really did I literally was like holding on well, I, I don't I don't think you're I don't think you're alone I think resistance, <laughs> and everyone tells you to embrace it and you're like how <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I yeah. appreciate it it's hard, it's hard because right, like, right. we don't want to embrace painful experiences or change or things that are unpredictable but the reality as we're all experiencing now it's like everything's unpredictable and nothing is certain and actually if you kind of change your relationship to change and how you maneuver through life it does become more fluid it's not to say that it doesn't hurt but like I don't know I saw this thing on Instagram I was like if there was like a slogan for your Saturn returns it should be it and it said let go or get dragged and I'm like I know because I felt like for years I was just being dragged like behind a boat that kept going and I just wouldn't let it go because I was trying to control my life so much and the universe was just like no this isn't the way it's supposed to go you've got to let go so I think that that would be definitely some advice and like I said to the part to the part about being lost to actually like to sit in that and be able to sit in the discomfort of what you're experiencing is such a powerful thing to be able to sit in your own pain and like not overly identify with it to be like okay this is what's happening for me right now I'm feeling this way but I am not this way and then you can actually start to like pick up intuitively how the steps you need to take So I think like we're so linear in our thinking and and very in like our masculine, which is like, oh, like if I do this, I'll be happy. And if I achieve that, I'll be happy. But actually it's like, we don't know necessarily. And if you just follow your intuition about stuff, like it, it, it guides you. It is like an internal guidance system. Yeah. I I feel so. And for me, I feel it's more about the journey and in having these big goals, it's actually the important bit is, is, is really who we become in that journey uh, rather than necessarily the goal itself, to be honest. We're very goal orientated. And I think that that, you know, the truth is, and I always say this, it's like everything's relative. So we can look at someone and think, oh, their life's perfect and they have everything, but we don't actually know what it's like for them to experience the world because like, that their truth is relative to like their experience and we do get stuck in this sort of hedonic treadmill of like when I have this I'll be happy when I have more when I have a bigger house when I have bigger this whatever and then you get that thing you just want another bigger thing and we just like get caught in this rat race whereas like I think it's really important to to live within your means in that sense and actually to be grateful for what you have was and like be content while still wanting to achieve your goals and go after your dreams and I think that that's a really tricky balance to finesse beautiful Keggy thank you so much for sharing your words of beautiful wisdom it's just been such a joy and I'm very much looking forward to um, as I'm sure all the listeners do to to keeping up with your podcast have a beautiful week thank you very much everyone take so much care Keggy look after yourself take care bye